0: Before we start off today's episode, a brief word of a correction and a bit of an apology as well. i uh, like to obviously sincerely apologize for our last episode where we had a little bit, or really a big bit, of a mistake. In the title, for some reason, I put Michael Brown instead of Eric Gardner as the officer who was fired after killing... Um, Michael Brown, uh, that that was incorrect. It was not Michael Brown who was killed. It was obviously Eric Gardner. Daniel Pantaleo fired in New York, not in Ferguson. Really do apologize for that. Really embarrassed when I was informed of that just a few hours ago, uh, and it is obviously now changed. We deeply regret that error. With that out of the way, let's start today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's News Flash episode. Huge episode today. The EPA is r- killing, literally killing our planet. Uh, I don't know why we'll get into it. Uh, Boris Johnson's parliamentary parliamentary suspension pumps fury, outrage, and resignations in the UK. Uh, James Comey still in the news. Yes, we'll talk about him hopefully very briefly. Kirsten Gillibrand ending his 2020 bid. Trump... Calls out MSNBC after a botch report. We'll take a look at Greta Thunberg landing in the United States today for a climate summit and what she's faced along the way. Take checking in then on the insurgency and how we're doing nationwide. Ilan Omar and the double standard around criticizing along religious lines. And there's no get out of free, uh, get out of Trump free card. A special mes- message from Hamilton Nolan. A piece that I do want to get into and add on to a little bit as well. Um, you know what actually I've decided we're going to do a little bit of a trade-off and trade off that uh, Hamilton Nolan piece that we always love to check out once in a while on our show for a little bit of an article breakdown. This time from Enemy Territory in the National Review. Let's get right into that. That'll be very very interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, so you do want to kind of want to make that a little bit of regular second just t- taking a look at what the other side is saying and kind of rebutting it. I think that would be very, very good. Um, yeah, that's going to be all about socialism coming up a little bit later. Uh, but we start at the top with EPA, and they're planning to roll back regulations on methane, one of the most potent, if not the most potent, greenhouse greenhouse gases out there. Um, the Trump administration is set to announce on Thursday that it tends to sharply curtail the regulation of methane emissions, a major contributor to the climate change Um according to an industry official with knowledge of the plan. The EPA, in a proposed rule, will aim to eliminate federal requirements that oil and gas companies install technology to inspect for or fix methane leaks from wells, pipelines, or storage facilities. So pretty much, again, it's helping out oil and gas companies, taking the weight off their backs, of really just trying to protect the planet is really what this is. Um, It's something that, I mean, I guess obviously it's not fun, maybe it gets away in a little bit of a profit, but the thing is, that is like, is one of the probably one of the biggest downsides of capitalism is that you have a whole group of companies, and this is probably one of the most potent examples there is out there. Um, a whole group of companies who literally have a profit incentive to kill the planet, and the pro- problem with the, uh, politics today is there is a profit incentive for many of our politicians today to help them do that through legalized bribery and the obviously campaign finance donations and stuff like that. Because, I mean, probably a lot of these politicians are going to get a lot of checks in the mail. There's going to be know, um, checks to their campaign funds or whatever. And that's what it's going to be. That is, it's such a, it's literally driven into the market to take away and roll back these um, protections for uh, methane. It's, that is, again, if this is not a problem with the system, I don't know what is. Um, the proposed rollback is particularly notable because several major energy companies have, in fact, opposed it, so it's, like, it's literally, it's, like, please, you're giving us too much, stop, like, you're, you're literally giving us way too much, um, this is, this is gonna be bad, I like this, uh, I, I like, I would like to have a planet to live on, because, like, again, even if you're the CEO of an oil or gas company, you're still gonna have to contend with burning, burning, a, a boiling seawater in the next three or four decades or so, like, it's still gonna be reality for you, too, Sure, you may be able to get into like some underground bunker, but that's gonna be a lot of work and you'd probably like to avoid that if you could and probably no people who maybe not even will be able to get into an underground bunker, even if you are super rich and there are not. Um so yeah, again, it's like they're like the funny thing is they're just like, please, please stop, don't do this, don't do this. I mean, it's just absolutely insane and nihilistic here. Um Yeah, just as other industrial giants have opposed the previous administration initiatives to dismantle climate change and environmental rules. Some of the world's largest auto companies have opposed Trump's plans to let vehicles pollute more. And a number of electric utilities have opposed the relaxation of restrictions on toxic mercury pollution from coal-fired power plants. Again, it's insane. I mean, obviously there are people who are uh, very politically active. A lot of companies who are very politically active and they're supporting this. They're probably pushing this uh, really more than anything. Like they're giving the incentive for this to really happen. I think Andrew Wheeler uh, with deep, deep connections to the coal industry. Uh, and these pushbacks have been, uh, the, the crazy thing is they have been opposed by even some companies, probably like BP, uh, a lot of companies that are trying to go a little bit more, uh, establish an image as, as somewhat of a green, green companies, green-friendly companies. Uh, they kind of have uh, opposed this to a pretty large degree. And the fact that uh, Trump is little, he's going along with them, again, literally letting vehicles pollute more in an age that we live in today, it's just such malpractice probably uh when we look back it's probably going to be one of the deepest and least reported legacies of donald trump's presidency the fact that he did this uh to the environment at such a critical and crucial time just dismantling all the protections that we've had for years and years and years in the making uh to protect us uh this is extraordinary extraordinarily harmful says rachel kite The United Nations Special Representative on Sustainable Energy said of this and other administration efforts to undo climate regulations dating from the Obama administration, just at a time when the federal government's job should be to help localities and states move faster towards cleaner energy and a cleaner economy. Just at the moment when the speed and scale is what's at stake, the government is walking off the field. And that's a great way to put literally walking off the field and literally taking the like like they're taking the feel like they're dragging everyone else down with them is really what they're doing because they're pushing that like they're pushing that uh, agenda and that's the probably one of the most more devastating things uh that you could probably see and then probably um just the fact that this is such a it's it's really really insane kind of boggles the mind at this point the new rule must go through a period of public comment and review uh will most likely be finalized early next year analyst said the wall street journal initially reported the expected rule overall carbon dioxide is the most significant greenhouse gas but methane is a close second it lingers in the atmosphere for a shorter period of time but packs a bigger punch while it lasts by some estimates methane has 80 times the heat trapping power of carbon dioxide in the first 20 years in the atmosphere so again it may not stay as long but it really traps the heat it really suffocates uh, our planet and raises the it raises the temperature to an extraordinary extraordinary degree Methane currently makes up nearly 10% of greenhouse gas emissions in the United States. A significant portion of that comes from the oil and gas sector. So, yeah. Eric Melito, a vice president at the American Petroleum Institute, a trade group representing the oil and gas industry, praised the proposed rule, saying, we think it's a smarter way of targeting methane emissions. So, that's pretty much... Uh... Yeah, we're, we're, what we're doing is here, we're targeting them by letting them happen. It's, 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 it's literally not targeting them at all, is really what it is. Um, it's, it's a very, very funny Orwellian way of putting it. Smaller oil and gas companies have complained to the Trump administration about the Obama rule, saying it's too costly for them to perform the required gas leak inspections. Well, that's, that's the definition of tough. Uh, that's too bad, because we need to have a planet that will not be have companies oil and gas companies i don't care how small you are spilling methane out into the atmosphere like that's not okay under any circumstances whatsoever those larger companies have invested millions of dollars to promote the um uh to to promote the use of electricity from burning natural gas which produces about half as much carbon dioxide as coal. They fear that the unrestricted leaks of methane could undermine the p- their pitch that gas is a cleaner energy source, leading to a lower demand for the fuel. This is uh, bigger oil companies that really do want to tighten restriction on methane to pretty much promote kind of a green image here. Exxon wrote to the EPA last year, urging the agency to maintain the core elements of the Obama-era policy. And earlier this year, Gretchen Watkins, the United States chairwoman for Shell, said that the EPA should impose rules that would regulate emissions, uh, regulate existing methane emissions, but also for future methane emissions as well. Uh, again, just take a look at some of their pitches here. It's, it's not even that really environmentally friendly. They're not coming in like Greenpeace here. They're just saying, please, just like, we need to, we need, this is really, really, really important. It's like, this is a survival thing. Uh, pretty much what they say is they want to promote electricity and they fear that un- unrestricted leaks of methane could undermine the pitch of the gas. Is a cleaner energy source, so hopefully they will continue to do the checks anyway, even though it's not required. Um, even if these smaller gas companies don't, I guess I guess it's just the best we can hope for in the Trump administration. Hooray! We love we love to see it, folks. We really, really do. All right, we're gonna move on now to our next story, where we take a trip across the bloody pond, uh, where Boris Johnson is really up to something right now. Uh, Britain's prime minister. Uh, Boris Johnson faced a growing and angry backlash on Thursday as his decision to suspend Parliament next month prompted protests and legal challenges and political opponents scrambling to salvage efforts to stop a disorderly Brexit. So pretty much what he did is say, uh, because they're leaving, I think, no matter what, as it stands now on October 31st. um, And it is... The, the, the opposition to this really has been insane so pretty much what he did here is they're leaving on october 31st so he shut down the parliament so before this all took place before boris johnson went to the queen to kind of suspend the parliament um what they had was a five-week session to debate the deal starting september 3rd to september 12th then they had a break for something called party conferences that went all the way until October 9th from September 12th to October 9th. Then there was a EU summit on the 17th and 18th of October, and then until the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th, all the way to the 31st when Britain left the EU. So Johnson introduced a new parliamentary session and delayed the return of lawmakers, leaving at least, or sorry, less than three weeks until the Brexit deadline. So uh, Brexit legislation in do, introduced during the two weeks cannot carry over to the new session in September. So if, if you introduce something in september um uh it will not matter in october you've got to reintroduce it and uh, there's got to be more and more debate and debate and debate um the new session the queen's speech and the debates will happen uh through on the week of october 14th so just short short period of time around two weeks before they do leave the eu uh the new five week suspension period or pr- prorogation announced wednesday includes the three weeks when lawmakers already anticipated being in recess, but now they won't return until October 14th when a new parliamentary session would begin, as opposed to returning October 9th. So they lost a pretty pretty key amount of time there. Um, no, they're going to actually, I think they're going to return like, I don't know, they're going to return like 22nd, but, uh, sorry, October 14th, yeah. As opposed to, I believe, uh, having the 3rd through the 12th until uh, the 9th. They'll they'll have the third through twelfth of September and then they'll have the ninth through the thirty first in October as opposed to under the new plan. They won't have any of September and they won't have um uh they will have until the fourteenth. So yeah, they pretty much cut off all, all of September there. It's not not good under any stretch of the imagination. So they will not have uh the third through the twelfth of September to debate at all when they thought that they would have. It's pretty much how that's gonna work. A new session of Parliament begins with a speech by the Queen, sending out the government's proposed legislation for the period, which is debated over several days, consuming further time. Lawmakers opposed to a no deal Brexit could have used to try to tie Johnson's hands. The decision to upend parliamentary session and start a new one also deprives lawmakers of the power to cut short their break, furthering tightening the timetable, further tightening the timetable, and if rebel lawmakers don't succeed in passing a decision by the end of the current session, they'll have to start the process all over again in October 14th because his Johnson's biggest priority here is getting Brexit no matter what the cost, no matter what could possibly happen. He just wants Brexit to happen no matter what. So that is going to be what he's going to try and do, and he's going to do it at all costs, like, he literally, we had, um, Andy Cowles on, uh, I think back in March, and he thought there was going to be a new deal happening, like, any second, uh, no deal happening any second, and he was literally stockpiling food, he lives in London, and he was literally stockpiling food, um, to pretty much get prepared for what is, what he thought would be literally the worst, um, which was, it, it just gives a sense of what's happening, it's huge, uh, backlashes in medicine, uh, sorry, uh, huge uh, problems with food, huge problems with uh, our backlogs of medicine, food, because there's going to be uh, tons of uh, trade, new trade regulations, new trade inspections that'll have to come in when things are shipped from the mainland of Europe where there is still freedom of, uh, still free travel, still free uh, movement of goods. And they won't know anything about the backstop either, it's just going to be an absolute mess pretty much if this new deal does go down in the way it does yeah so i mean again the thing is the normally fractious opposition swiftly united in outrage at johnson's maneuver on wednesday which brought protesters onto the streets in london and other cities across the country on an online petition against the action to well over a million signatures the move strained relations within johnson's conservative party and prompted claims from critics the government was trampling on the convention of the country's unwritten constitution undermining its democracy uh On Wednesday, Johnson had Queen Elizabeth II approve a plan to restrict the sittings of the Parliament in September and October, reducing his critics' chances of legislating to prevent Britain from leaving with a no-deal. That's pretty much how it's going to play out there. That reduces his critics' chances of stopping the no-deal, which would make it very, very helpful for his own political goals. The Conservative Party leader in Scotland, Ruth Davidson, resigned on Thursday, saying she she carefully organized... Uh, avoided criticizing Johnson in a resignation letter and a news conference, giving the timing. The British news media linked reaction to the Prime Minister's Davidson opposes a no-deal Brexit, but she said she trusted Johnson's assur- assurances he does not intend to reach. He doesn't intend, sorry, to reach an agreement with the EU by October thirty-first, which is um, big, big. Pretty much, very, very unlikely, because it, it took uh, teresa May like half a year to try and reach it, and he'll only have like three weeks, uh, really, three, four weeks. Uh, no, I think he's he's got like two months, but it's not going to happen. It's most likely going to be, I think, a no deal at this point. And i am see, do see if we can get uh some on the ground reaction from our good friend Mr. Cowles in London to get his uh, kind of take on the matter. Because he'll definitely have some pretty interesting things to say. It's very, very connected to what's going on, obviously, over in Britain. Lord Young of Cookham, a former cabinet minister, resigned as a conservative whip of the House of Lords on Thursday, saying in a letter that Johnson's action risks undermining the fundamental role of Parliament in a critical time in our history and reinforces the view that the government may not have the confidence of the House for its Brexit policy. Numerous reports... By bodies including the Bank of England and the International Monetary Fund have said a no-deal Brexit would be chaotic and seriously damage Britain's economy. Leaks from the government itself have warned of the possibility of jam ports and shortages of some medicines and fuel and food as well. Uh, majority of lawmakers are on record opposing such an outcome, but Johnson, who, scheduled, uh, who became the Prime Minister last month, has promised to leave the EU on the schedule date, preferably with agreement, but without one if necessary. Um... But in an overnight poll, far more Britons opposed it than supported his suspension of parliament. And angry comments calling it undemocratic peppered social media, with many with the hashtag stop the coup. Because that's, I mean, imagine uh, if we were about to make a major decision and Trump was just like, okay, the House can't pass any laws for X amount of time until the decision happens. Like, like for example, we had to make a decision by Christmas and he was like, okay, you can only debate and make a law to stop me for two weeks in the month of December, like, the first two weeks of the month of December. Like, people would be like, what the hell? Like, it would be like, maybe like we are going to war or something like that. Like, that's how drastic that decision is. It, it literally has the same consequences as something catastrophic like a wartime situation or some major, major policy proposal that would really shake things up and affect the life of every American. That's pretty much the same thing of really what's happening in Britain. Uh, The Speaker of the House of Commons, John Burkow, a former Conservative Chancellor and a former Conservative Chancellor of the exchequer I don't know what that is, um, Philip Hammond, each called it a constitutional outrage. Jeremy Corbyn, leader of the Labour Party, labeled it a sort of smash and grab on our democracy. But Jacob Rees-Mong, the hardline Brexit supporter and Conservative leader in the House of Commons on Thursday, defended the government's decision, arguing that there would still be adequate time to debate Brexit, but the real threat to Britain's unwritten, con- unwritten constitution, uh, in the Daily Telegraph, you wrote, came from those who opposed Brexit and wanted to overturn the 2016 referendum decision to leave the bloc. So yeah, I mean, again, having a No Deal, having a, a people's vote, as they want to call it there in Brexit uh, in Britain, having a, pretty much another vote on this decision, it, it would be very, very tough to pass, very, very tough to get through. But it's. Gonna be, is not as precarious as what they are doing right now. That's for damn sure. I'll let you know if before this show comes out, of course, uh, Mr. Cowles gets in touch with us again here in the newsroom studios. Uh, but until then, we're gonna move on to James Comey. He's criticized in a watchdog report over handling of memos about Trump. Adam Goldman of the New York Times has a story. A Justice Department inspector general released on Thursday a report that was highly critical of former FBI director James Comey handling memos, detailing, um, and his handling a memos, detailing interaction with the president, accusing him of setting a dangerous example for officials with access to government secrets. The findings were a result of a lengthy investigation by Michael Horwitz, the inspector general who examined whether Comey had acted inappropriately when he gave one of those memos to a con. A confidant, who later provided its contents to the New York Times. Comey had said he held me the information public in part to bring uh, about the appointment of a special counsel, which is apparently a violation of the FBI policy. Uh, president Trump and his allies are sure to use the report's conclusions to attack Comey, whom the president fired abruptly in 2017, and partly blamed for the opening of Russia um, the Russian investigation, which threatened the presidency from its inception. So pretty much the idea is here that he was just to uh fast and loose with these documents which i mean again it's probably a better thing that he did do that because the special counsel is definitely something that needed to happen obviously uh to get this because there was just so much going on this uh, fbi investigation was not good at all it was really kind of devastating uh but it's going to be very very interesting to see what happens uh down the road here um if James Comey's, I mean, what are they even gonna do? What are they even gonna do? He's a pretty much a private citizen anymore. Who cares? Like, the collusion battle is over. Ugh. It's like, stop with this. And we'll get to this a little bit later uh, with Mr. O'Donnell of MSNBC. Mr. Lawrence. Mr. Larry o- OD. Uh, Pretty much ODing on the Russia story is what you could really call it. Uh, but yeah, that, that's coming up as well. But first, we have another dropout. Pam, pam pam. Kirsten Gillibrand is out. Um, here is her long overdue announcement that she is leaving this campaign, baby. She posted this on Twitter. Hey, everyone. I wanted you to hear it from me first. All right, we're going to so that's I apologize. I put the wrong thing on there. Uh, but here she is again talking about I wanted you to hear it from me first. I'm ending my campaign for president. I'm so proud of this team, everything we've accomplished. Uh, yeah, here's what After you said. more than eight incredible months, I'm ending my presidential campaign. All right, yeah, we're having a little bit of problems there with the audio, uh, but we... I know this isn't the result we wanted. We wanted to win this race. <laughs> but it's important to know when it's not your time. And to know how you can best serve your community and country. I believe I can best serve by helping to unite us to beat Donald Trump in 2020. During this campaign, I met some of the most inspiring, brave people all across this country, from Iowa to New Hampshire, from Georgia to Michigan. You have tears. talking about this I will make sure your voice is heard. I promise. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. First and foremost, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything you've done for this team. Thank you for volunteering, donating, and committing to our campaign. You're kicking butt every single day. Thank you for sharing your stories with me. Thank you for opening up your living rooms, breweries, and cycling studios. Who cares? She's gone. Bye. Literally doing a so cycle, but whatever. Whatever. Um, yeah, in her announcement video, again, with pretty much with the biggest quote of the day, it's important It was way it's not your time. And I'd be, maybe, Christian, Kirsten, Kirsten, you could, um, uh, you could possibly, possibly send that message to a few other people, maybe like 10 other people in the race who should definitely drop out at this point. Uh, because, excuse <coughs> me, they're pretty much in the way, and that, by the way, includes Tulsi Gabbard. She said she will endorse another candidate, but she has not decided who. So she's not just going to go pull an Obama endorse and endorse the, and endorse the uh, nominee. Um, no word yet on who she'll choose. Although the New York Times said that a female would be. She told the New York Times that a, a female would be quote inspiring and exciting unquote. Pick a female. A female uh, in the race. You go with Tama. You could go with Tulsi. <sighs> That's not going to happen. But. Elizabeth, Warren, I think it's either going to be Elizabeth Warren or Kamala, who she's going to endorse if she wants a a woman. It's definitely not going to be Bernie, that's for damn sure. Um, but yeah, Elizabeth Warren definitely, hopefully, would be the choice she picked. But knowing who her, I think she's going to pick Kamala because that's just who she is. She is a corporate Democrat. This is just the reality situation. Um, yeah, in May, she back in May, she was reportedly begging crowds to send a single dollar to help her qualify for the debates. So she was never really off to a great start. And Apparently, Big Pharma hosted a campaign fundraiser for her as well. She was recently polling at 0.1 percent, uh, according to Real Clear Politics. It's clear she's received really way too much blame and negativity for extremely cool role in pushing former uh, Minnesota Senator Al uh, Franken's resignation after harassment allegations and a literal photo. But again, I don't really know if how much her. I mean. I don't really know how much I heard of, cause it because, it probably heard of with some a, a small segment of really the Democratic base, but uh, and maybe a little bit with the elites too, who were friends with Al Franken as well. Personally, if I were Al Franken, I would have stayed on and probably would have been probably to the ethics investigation and want hold held to my seat in a deep blue district. But I'd rather not have him in there. Uh, I'd I mean, I'd rather have Tina Smith in there, who's currently in there right now, doing a great job, by the way. Uh, than someone like Al Franken, who is just going to be kind of a lightning rod, and his really only contribution to uh, things will be just grilling people in the Senate, is what he pretty much only he did, but Tina Smith is, from what I understand, a bit more progressive, so that's always good to see, um, yeah, so that is, yeah, that's it, that's our Kirsten story, alright, this is going to be interesting here, folks, Donald Trump demanding now that all quote-unquote of all apologize after botched msnbc report about his ties to russia so yeah crazy lawrence o'donnell who's been calling me wrong uh from even before i announced my run for the presidency, even began uh even being forced by NBC to apologize which he did while crying for things that he said about me and the apprentice was again forced to apologize this time with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary, void were prohibited by law. 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And for the most ridiculous claim of all that Russia, 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 or Russian oligarchs co signed loan documents for me, a guarantee. Totally false, as is virtually everything else he and much of the lamestream media has said about me for years. All apologize, That's what he said. So pretty much the story, as you may have been may or not have been able to decipher from that kind of uh, broken English, there um, is about Lawrence O'Donnell, who he issued a hasty retraction over his previously uh, previous claim the night before that a number of Deutsche Bank loans from Trump. Uh, Having co-signed by Russian oligarchs close to Vladimir Putin. Again, it's, first of all, I'm going to give Lawrence O'Donnell some credit here. He apologized literally the next night on the show. Very sincere in his retraction, I thought. Um, and that's always good to see from someone who purports to be a journalist. No one on the right wing would ever do that. Um, never, ever, ever, because they're just not serious journalists. So, and he did apologize. So that's, I'll give him credit for that. But boy, was it funny to kind of see this whole thing go down. So the president's screed against O'Donnell has all the characteristics of a Trump rant. So, lame nickname emasculating aside, and a black hole of self-pity again. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, Trump, again, has spent the bulk of his 73 years on the planet lying all the time. Uh, lying about um, saying he was the messiah. Um, like hes I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. It just literally makes up things that people say about him. Um, he literally, what again, what, what? What's some other stuff here? Uh, he, let's see, lying about inciting violence against sitting Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, um, lying about the environment, literally all the time, um, saying that Obama was responsible for the environment, and he's. He's got the cleanest air and crystal clean water. He's helped preserve, as we talked about. He literally is letting people against the will. He's letting um, oil and gas companies literally against their own will, um, literally just destroy the environment on their own, which is amazing. So yeah, that's that's all great. But speaking of Trump, anyway, again, O'Donnell apologized, but there is some <laughs> some pretty funny stuff going on um with this clip. I do want to play that. Um, for you here. This is the this is the tweet. Uh, with yeah. So this is kind of the moment where (laughs) Rachel Maddow's hilarious reaction is quite something. Really? (laughs) That's what that's what he says. So um, coming out literally explaining that wasn't ready for. That's his retraction. Uh, and this is this is the this is the moment. I'll see you again tomorrow. Now it's time for The Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell. Good evening, Lawrence. Good evening, Rachel. Thank you. Appreciate it. Last night on this show, I discussed information that wasn't ready for reporting. I repeated statements a single source told me about the president's finances and loan documents with Deutsche Bank saying, if true, as I discussed the information, was simply not good enough. I did not go through the rigorous verification and standards process here at MSNBC before repeating... All right, so yeah, that's pretty much what that is all about. So I mean, I give him credit. He apologized, came out and said, "No, I'm I retract that. That was incorrect. That was bad of me to say." Um, and again, so respect to him for doing that. It's very good. It's what you're supposed to do. But still, again, it's just the Russia all the time is so useless and stupid. I think that's it's just the, it's just the main idea. That's the, hopefully they'll stop talking about Russia. I mean, I don't I don't know. I haven't really watched it, but um. Again, it's it's all very, very interesting stuff. So anyway, we now turn to Fox News, where Trump is having a little bit trouble in paradise. Fresh off a Twitter tantrum over MSNBC's reach, uh, recent botched coverage of the status to Russia, President Donald Trump called into Brian Gilmead's Fox News radio show on Thursday morning to continue to vent about Fox itself. Um, he says, I'm not happy with Fox. Uh, people think that Fox is for me. Uh, people think Fox is for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which obviously is true, and I wonder where you guys see yeah, that idea. Trump also complained about the only objective part of Fox, which is their 2020 polling, showing him trailing behind uh, Vice President Joe Biden as well as Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, uh, all by decisive, decisive margins. Trump nevertheless had some kind words for Trump's who's, uh, for Fox's guess who, their primetime hosts Sean Hannity, Laura Ingraham, Tucker Carlson, have all been really good saying, Tucker's a little tricky but that's okay uh an apparent reference to uh, Carlson's literally transparent racism which is a little tricky indeed um continued uh Trump continued again with his nice list with an awkward backhanded compliment for killmead um explaining that you should say you recited six maybe a seven but you're getting much better <laughs> uh still Trump obviously stated a word for CNN and MSNBC which he blasted as 100% against him, saying that networks don't have diversity, meaning my view, which is pretty funny. Uh, CNN in particular is begging me to do an interview. I just think it would be disloyal to my followers. So that's what he says. I'm sure they would not like that. It was media, media people that he knows. So anyway, that's a little thing to keep an eye on, the possibility of them breaking up a little bit. Fox News in the Trump symbiotic ecosystem, but I, I really don't think it's going to happen. It's not much to worry about. Uh, when the global retail giant Amazon abandoned deeply terrible plan to build its proposed HQ2 center in New York City this past winter our company complained about a press release in a press release about the number of state and local politicians it claimed have made clear that they oppose our presence and will not work with us to build the type of relationship that is required to go forward with the project including AOC uh, and other progressive leaders uh, who chafed at um, Amazon's hellacious campaign which sent cities groveling for their piece of the company's un- labor unfriendly pie Which, again, thankfully, some of the more progressive uh, council members in New York City kind of led by OC pretty much only because she was the biggest media figure. There was a lot of other people who did a lot of other good work as well. Um, Yeah, so those guys um, had that to kind of say and weigh in on. Um, But... Amazon's woe-is-us self-absorption went even deeper than a whiny press release. The company, valued at around $1 trillion, reportedly kept somewhat of a burn book of all the mean things that people were saying about them at the time. Uh, Officially titled, quote, NY Negative Statements, unquote, the Microsoft Word document consisted of eight pages filled with separate sections from half a dozen politicians and officials who had gone from thorns in the company's side to formidable opponents of a deal that now looked to be in jeopardy. Uh, Among the politicians were... Uh Mike Jarnis, a state senator who garnered twenty-five different entities uh for his opposition to H entries, sorry, for his op- opposition to HQ two. Stuart Applebaum of resale wholesale and department store union president. Uh was the latest uh also made the list with a stick burn saying, Quote, It's a cold day in New York, but not as cold as Jeff Bezos' heart. Ooh. What a roast. Uh it, also the document seemed like a very low-tech junior high school kind of petty way of Uh, behaving for a literally $1 trillion company. So maybe uh, if they're going to take any action on this, I don't know. But the fact is that they did it, which is kind of mind-blowing and insane in and of itself. All right. We now turn to Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg, uh, the climate activist, is arriving in New York today with a message for Donald Trump. She sailed across the Atlantic Ocean in an emissions-free yacht to speak at the UN UN Climate Action Summit uh, that will be coming up very soon. Uh, early September, I believe. Uh, her protests on Friday's demanding action on climate change have inspired children to demonstrate in some 100 cities. Her admonitions for grown-ups to quote-unquote tell it like it is have won her an invitation to speak at the UN. Her directors, who have obviously called her naive and crazy and all that stuff, uh, now after sailing across the Atlantic on an admissions-free yacht, Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old Swedish climate activist, has disembarked in lower Manhattan ahead of her speech next month at the UN Climate Action Summit. After a 15-day sail that was obsessively tracked by European news media, cheered by fellow climate activists, and mocked by critics, we'll get to in a minute, by, uh, uh rocked by rough waves off of Nova Scotia, Greta's and the boat's crew went through customs on Wednesday morning while anchored off Coney Island in Brooklyn. So, yeah, that's what they did. They literally, and, and a yacht, t- calling it a yacht is a little misleading. If you go look it up, it's literally like, like a fast sailboat kind of. Like that does not look fun to stay on for. When well, she was on there for 14 days, um, uh, and she had to like wait for the tide and all that stuff. Like that's pretty crazy. Credit to her for doing that. Like I don't think any one of those like fat media people who write for the Guardian over there, or people over here, who criticize or would ever want to spend 14 days on that thing. They would literally kill themselves, uh, before any of that happens. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, just before 3 p.m. in Manhattan, a shout went out for those waiting. For in the intermittent light rain to greet her at the North Cove Marina, Muslim young activists, the boats black sails had just come into sight, just blocks from Wall Street, the heart of the global financial system whose investments in fossil fuels are one of the main targets of climate activists in the area that climate change threatens quite a lot with sea, sea level rise. Uh, sea levels are rising and so are we, they say. Uh, a vessel glided past the marina and there were more chance when one anxious cry, cry saying, quote, she's going to Jersey, but the yacht trailed by a fleet of small boats wheeled around. Soon, Greta, with a slight smile, uh, disembarked unsteadily. Perhaps unsure, a little bit of her land legs. She's been literally off, um, one of the. She's been off land for what two weeks now. Amid a flurry of questions, Greta was asked to comment on President Trump in his hometown. My message to him is that to listen to science, but he obviously doesn't do that, which is a fair thing to say. I mean, again, not going. This is not about obviously, it's not about Donald Trump, as the media tries to make anything circled around Donald Trump. There's a deeper issue here um, about the literally uh, dissolving of our planet right before our eyes. Uh, when Greta began protesting outside the Swedish Parliament in 2018, uh, she kind of had that signature, that flair. I recently followed her on Twitter. Good, good uh, thing to do. Uh, but with her signature double raids and stern demeanor, she inspired a movement called Fridays for Future, in which thousands of children have walked out of school in locally and sometimes globally coordinated strikes. She does not fly airplanes because of uh, high emissions of gases. To reach New for her UN speech, she was offered a ride on the Maliza Two, a racing yacht that uses solar panels and underwater generator turbines to avoid producing carbon emissions, according to st- according to a statement from Greta's team. So completely. Completely efficient. The yacht was skippered by a German sailor, Boris Ehrman, uh, P- and Pierre Kashgari, a son of the Princess Caroline of Monaco. Uh, Collects data that allows scientists to study rates of ocean acidification and by a byproduct of carbon emissions. So they're literally, as they were sailing emissions free across the ocean, they were helping scientists who were researching climate change. It's a pretty pretty good way to walk the walk and uh, talk the talk there, uh, which is which is pretty interesting. So. Again, really not giving any of these crazy activists room to criticize her on anything substantive, but yet they still find a way. Um, yeah, uh, so, anyway, uh, to, yeah, so anyway, yeah, so again, this is a report back from Claire Parker, The Washington Post. That last one, sorry. That last report that I just gave you was from um, The New York Times and uh, Ann Barnard. So getting credit where credit is due. Um, yeah. Two days into her transatlantic voyage, just is back on August fifteenth. She was started on August thirteenth. There, um, now she just set. I believe landed today or yesterday. I believe yesterday. Uh, the Swedish teenager set sail on Wednesday on a nearly three thousand mile trip from Plymouth, England, to New York, where she plans to attend UN climate action summit on September. Uh, th- uh in September, Thunberg is making the journey aboard the sixty foot carbon neutral boat. And she has uh, a bunch of insane detractors. Aaron Banks, a British businessman who has bankrolled the Brexit campaign, used on Twitter about a calamity befalling the literal 16-year-old. Freak yachting accidents do happen in August, he wrote. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, that's, like, that's a 16-year-old. That's like, what the hell? Like, that's like a 16-year-old climate activist. And he's like... Oh, I hope the boat drowns. I hope the boat capsizes. I hope the boat pulls it tight. It's insane. Um, Green Party member of Parliament, Carolyn Lucas, who's encouraging words with Thunberg, prompted Banks' tweet, said the Brexit backer's message makes her, quote, sick to her stomach. Damn straight. Uh, what a creep. Uh, yeah, so... If you're a fully th- a grown-up, fully thread- fledged adult, and you're mocking this young girl for trying to save the planet, I feel generally sorry for you," she wrote. Uh, uh, Amanda Abington, a British actress, wrote on Twitter. I Also, think you're incredibly cruel, vicious, and ignorant. Banks defending himself, uh, s- Banks defended himself, saying that this tweet was a joke. Saying, "quote You lefties have no sense of bloody humor. Saying, "I want a sixteen-year-old girl to die in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean of a freak yachting accident." That's just so funny. Like, I think I think we're the ones with a sense of humor, and you're the ones who are literally insane and want a young girl to have a freak yachting accident in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It's insane. Um, yeah. I mean, man, like, what the... Heck? Why... If you don't hope that you have a freak... If you don't want to have a freak yachting accident, then don't say it, because that's not a joke. It's just something that is makes no sense. That's not how a joke works. Like, even I know that, and I'm the same age as her. Anyway, Thunberg's no stranger to criticism. Obviously, the teenager has emerged as, again, one of the most uh, prominent voices on climate action. Um, uh, conservative French politicians mocked Thunberg when she spoke to French lawmakers last month as a prophetess in shorts. Uh, Stephen Malloy, a former member of Trump's transition team, described her as. This week as a teenage puppet because, again, she's young, so she can't have her own ideas. She can't believe things. She's obviously being used by somebody else, and she can't even have her own ideas yet until she's uh, 21, 18. I don't know. Um, yeah. She said to her critics, We become the bad guys who have to tell people these uncomfortable things because no one else wants to or dares to. Um, climate delays want to shift the focus from the climate crisis to something else. I won't worry about that. I'll do what I need, she says. Uh, that is for sure. Um, she said, like, how can you not love this? She gives daily updates on her, uh, Twitter. Uh, she says, day two, a hundred nautical miles west west of Cape Finisterre. A bumpy night, but I slept surprisingly well. Some dolphins showed up and swam along the boat last night too. So it's, it's cool stuff. Cool thing to follow. You can follow along by the day. Uh, yeah, so it is. Pretty cool. It's, it's, it's a, an elite racing boat, the boat she was on, but it lacks a lot of amenities. Um, it was built in 2015 out of a composite material meant to reduce weight and withstand extreme weather. The vessel is powered by solar panels and an underwater turbine. It doesn't have a toilet and much light, so uh, Thunberg's only going to have a bucket as a bathroom and a headlamp in which to read and keep her journals. Which, by the way, she's reportedly packed eight journals. She'll have freeze-dried meals and drink seawater in a desalination machine. Wow, so yeah, like, like that is, um, <laughs> she's like, it's not going to be, it's not going to be comfortable, it's not going to be comfortable, the first night was bouncy and rough, but she, she's made it, she's made it, so I mean, again, imagine having any of those people go on that yacht, I would not want to go on that yacht, imagine having them go on that yacht, like, give me a break, alright, we're going to, now, you know what, we're just going to move right on over to our Article breakdown. Let's do that. I have changed my mind, ladies and gentlemen, because today we will not be reading from the uh, National Review. What we will be doing is reading from if I can fold it properly, the Wall Street Journal opinion section. The all, there's always some good news in there. People don't appreciate it because they put it up behind a paywall or whatever. There are some real doozies in the Wall Street Journal um, opinion section here, and I gotta, I gotta tell you, I found a good one. The first thing that, as I turned through, I went up into my uh, father's, um, my father's room here and stole the latest paper. Is just the latest paper. I don't know. Uh, this is no August 29th. Yes, yeah, today. Um, the 1619 Project hurts blacks. It was the first thing that I fell my 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 um my weary eyes fell upon, and boy oh boy, are we gonna read it? I've never read this before, but the headline looks very good. The subhead reads: The New York Times series wallows in victimhoods and ignores successes. The New York Times released recently released a special 100 page edition of the Sunday magazine, uh, arguing that slavery has left an indelible mark. On the soul of our nation and its legacy remains the principal cause of inequities between races. Again, I'm not sure if they were actually saying that. I think they were saying that not slavery itself, but the fact that there has always been anti-black or anti-race, uh, anti-African-American feelings is probably a bit, that still exists today. That's the point that they're, I think, trying to make. And the thing is, what they're saying is it still exists today. It's a big problem today. Uh, racial feelings are a big problem, and slavery obviously started that. Um, yeah, the initiative is designed to show that whites have always been and continue to be the beneficiaries of both slavery and its attendant institutional racism, and blacks the perpetual victims. Yeah, like, it seems kind of obvious. Like, that's, like, I don't think there are any blacks coming out good when they're enslaved. Like, <laughs> the thesis is the consensus of nearly 20 black school- scholars. By the way, this is from Robert L. Woodson. Thesis is the consensus of nearly 20 black scholars, poets, and artists who contributed this issue of the... Times Magazine, and will be the mantra of subsequent media coverage as well, and various speeches by left-leaning politicians, most dangerous of all, the Pulitzer Center has packaged the Times Project as a curriculum for students of all ages that will be disseminated throughout the country. And again, there's a lot of things that we need to know, because again, for years, the the, I, the legacy of slavery has been systematically left out of US, edu- uh, U.S. education, and people don't know really how bad it was. And especially in the aftermath of slavery, through the period of Reconstruction, the impact of the Ku Klux Klan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That stuff is often like we know what it is, but we don't know the specifics. We really do not know how bad it it was, and that's because of. And obviously, that that varies in different states. Um, those who cherish the founding vision and values of our nation have critiqued the central promise of the nineteen, our promise of the 19, 16, 19 project. Uh, pretty much those who. Feel a little uncomfortable about the topic, if you know what I mean. Um, but the criticism should also be voiced by leaders within the Black community who represent the project purports to represent. Um, maybe it's not because it's actually like they agree with it. Like that, that could be a little bit. That could be what's uh, going on here. Maybe they agree with what's uh, being said. Could po- could possibly be the case. I don't know. Um, yeah. So. The most devastating aspect of the project narrative is the its insinuation that blacks are born inherently damaged by an already prevailing racism; that their future prospects are determined by the whims of whites. Again, I haven't obviously read the full project um, because I don't, unfortunately, have. Um, I don't, unfortunately, have the entire uh, subscription to your magazine definitely seems very good i read the essay by uh, nicole hannah jones i believe her name is uh that was very good and it should um, i would not put it past mr Woodson here to completely represent misrepresent the project but i mean the idea that the 1619 project hurts blacks by exposing the fact that what the what was done to them in a reality like it's just there's there's something else going on here i think it's very very uh very, very apparent through slavery and discrimination. Or those slavery and, discri- and discrimination are undeniably a tragic part of our nation's history. America has made strides in a long and torturous journey to realize its promise and abide by its founding principle. The best way to continue that advancement is to teach people um, inspiring stories of those who have achieved in spite of prejudice and bettered the nation. Uh, that's what we thought, and that's led to what we see today and we uh, we all hear about Thurgood Marshall we hear about R- Rosa Parks Martin Luther King and all the bad stuff is it's just uh, looking at history through absolutely BS rose colored glasses and ignoring some of the major systemic problems that exist today um, it is a big big mistake uh, barraging minorities with constant reminders in juries uh, of the injuries ancestors suffered and by the way probably people not too distant from them their grandmothers uh, probably victims. So, like There's probably stories that every black household um, has of injustice that is very, very clear and very, very present, which is really ridiculous to kind of put off um, in the way that he seems to really want to do here. In truth, even during the worst periods of oppression, there were blacks who were in slavery, but not of slavery. They made a strong moral maintained a strong moral code and belief in self-determination and mutual support that allowed them to rise despite their enslavement there are men and women who were born slaves yet died millionaires um, I that may be true may or may not be true uh, but again that that's all very part of it and I think that's a part of what they're saying literally the thesis of one of the first things I read when you when the first things you read when you open up the project it says America. Like they, the big part of it is Black Americans made America what it is today. Um, Amer like they realized the dream. Hannah Nicole Nicole Hannah Jones talks about, um, uh, literally talks about the fact that how her father hung out an American flag inside uh, out of her, um, uh, on her house or on her long out of a big flagpole even though she he was discriminated against she faced some uh, pretty bad ra- racial attacks as well like that is a like that is a big uh testament to the the kind of and i think it's a very accurate look of uh some of the struggles that black children have to grow up with grappling how they feel about america and the fact that they have appreciated america to the fullest and will continue to do so like all that i think is not only present in black American culture today, to a large degree, but is also, I think, very representative of how, uh, how, of, of, of really the content of the project. Like, that's, um, like, that's very, very good, I think, very and very, very clear throughout the project. Um, where was I? even in the area of uh, legislative segregation and discrimination before the civil rights movement, blacks tapped into an entrepreneurial legacy to launch thriving enterprises, including hotels, banks, hospitals, dental schools, insurance companies, and even a dry dock and railroad company. In fact, the Black Business District of Durham, uh, North Carolina, was widely known as Black Wall Street. The spectrum of self-achievement is a powerful refutation of the claim that the destiny of black Americans is determined by what whites do or what they did in the past. And again, I think that's all there. Like, there are people... Everyone, like everyone knows that, but we all have gotten the. I think the idea of rose-colored glasses, uh, this rose-colored glasses look of history and the way things were always great, or well, not not obviously always great, but like the fact that Black Americans rose past them. But I think we have not paid attention to the fact that uh, really the resistance that whites have done, um, especially during the times of Reconstruction, the intimidation that was uh, p- placed at every point. Like there's a whole hidden aspect of this that a lot of people don't know we know the fact that many black people were successful we know the fact about uh, we know that they were able to move past slavery and segregation as well in a very clear uh, and impactful manner but the thing is we don't really have a full understanding of some of the resistance and some of the insane struggle that they had to go through and I think that's why this project is so, so valuable. And that's why this article is so, I think, really just misplaced and kind of not really understanding the entire project, which I would be very, very, very surprised if he read. Um, yeah, Some uh, to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, the article ends, some prisons have locks that are on the inside. Um, yeah, and again, I think that's really kind of ridiculous because there is such a movement today in black culture to empower people to lift people up and like it's not like the if you think the predominant message coming from black culture today is oh you'll never make it because the whites are out to get you you are delusional there is obviously a part of black culture that talks about racism and talks about um the way things are, and some police brutality, things like that, systemic racism that is still very much present in society today. I think that he would hopefully uh, admit to that much. But there is such a good and empowering message, especially today in the culture, uh, that is really hard to ignore, and criminal, I think, to ignore, especially in a major piece like this. That's all the time we have for today. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. We will see you this Sunday.